Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing the ensemble from Universe Journey. And joining us for the discussion is first-time guest Jerome Wetzel. Welcome, Jerome. Thank you very much. We are very glad to have you, particularly because you are very involved in the topic we're discussing today. A little bit. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> what is what is your role in the production of Universe Journey? I am the creator, and I've written most of the episodes. Okay, so for listeners who are not familiar, Universe Journey is uh, a podcast that is a, a portion of a live show. So, so you record a live show with several hours or, or several uh, sections that are done in the style of old time radio, and then you release the individual sections as uh, podcasts, very similar to a recent episode that we covered on the Thrilling Adventure Hour. Um, they so were you, our inspiration. <laughs> they were your inspiration. Okay, so there's different there's material, but we stole their format. Well, they they weren't using it anymore when we started. They were ending. Now they've so, done some special shows, but so you are trying to fill that void uh, yes. coming in right there. Specifically, we're going to be discussing an episode called Universe Journey: The Musical, which was the first episode of the fourth season of Universe Journey, and this episode deals with the fallout of the destruction of the ASS Thrifty, and was written by Jerome Wetzel, Kristen Green, Samantha Stark, and Nick Argenbright with original music written and performed by Kristen Green. And it was directed by Chase McCants and recorded on August 11th, 2018. And overall, I think to, to let people get like a handle on what they would expect for Universe Journey, it seems like it's, um, you know, a, a parody of Star Trek, but it's moved beyond just parody. Does, is, does that feel accurate to you? <laughs> yeah, some of the earliest episodes were more or less straight up parodies. I mean, they were 20 minutes, so they weren't, you know, they didn't cover every detail of a Star Trek episode. Right. But yeah, we started with the basis of jumping off from a similar universe, but build our own world and own characters around it. Yeah, and that's what, like, I could still feel like the hallmarks of, okay, this is a clearly Captain Kirk character, but even on this episode that I was listening to, I could see that there had been evolution and, uh, you know, th these were now fully formed, which often with like, when it's just a parody, like it's, it's uh, caricature and like cardboard cutout versions of, of people. And, uh, you know, it, it's clear that by season four, uh, even if this began as like, okay, let's, let's have some fun in the Star Trek universe, but with this, you know, blending it with old, old uh, style radio. And, you know, th that can be a very fun and comedic thing. Um, there's also like, it felt like emotional stakes have been developed and relationships had, had, had evolved between the characters. Yeah, I mean, that that you kind of touch on the name of the show, It's All Been Done Radio Hour, our mission statement, I guess, or a starting point of developing the series overall and all the segments are, it has all kind of been done, but it hasn't been done our way. So <laughs> we were inspired, every segment's inspired by something, but mm -hmm. we do have original characters, we have original stories, and we yeah. try to go beyond that. And that's, well, I mean, that's what all media is. You can pick up, you know, Hunger Games and take apart the building blocks and say, okay, I'm seeing the short story, the lottery, yeah. the, I'm seeing the short story, the most dangerous game, I, you know, X, Y, and Z, you, but it's being put together in a new package. Mm -hmm. In a way that's satisfying, it doesn't feel uh, derivative uh, of what's been done, you know, what, what's come before. Right. And as you know, we noted, just own it with our name, <laughs> right? So, so, so the the whole podcast franchise is called it's the All Been Done Radio, or it's All Been Done Radio Hour. Is that right? Yep. Did I get that? Yes. And so my understanding is that you record the live show with several sections and then kind of chop it up and release those as podcasts. I would assume a live show is probably what, more or less monthly. It is. It's been every month for six years. 
getting ready to do our sixth anniversary show in July. Never skip the month. That is a wonderful run, particularly when there have been a few hiccups in the world (laughs) that might have caused a disruption in such a schedule. We really thought we were going to cancel. We originally did cancel our spring shows last year and then found the way to move them online to Zoom. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, (laughs) it's been challenging, but I don't think we're ending anytime soon. It's uh, we've got a great cast, so. Yes, um, and I, 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 I don't think I got the full cast list down, but um, there, there were quite a few people. Uh, like, like as I was listening to this, this was my first episode that I've listened to of your podcast. I just kept thinking, like, this is a really large cast. <laughs> like, there are so many different voices coming through, uh, and and so it's uh, clearly you, know, you have like a full ensemble that's engaged with this. Yeah, we've got about uh, sixteen or seventeen full time actors right now. Uh, Ten of them was started with the original show six years ago. And then we've lost a couple and added a few along the way. But the vast majority of them have been with us for most or all of the run. Well, we are discussing uh, an episode from the recurring segment Universe Journey, which is a parody mm-hmm. of the sci-fi genre in general and Star Trek in particular. And uh, I saw that it has seasons in its release order and also that there have been script books for some of the seasons that have been released as ebooks and paperbacks and even a novel called Love's Lust Lost that has mm-hmm. been published. And I love that title uh, for, for a, a novel. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the other uh, segments that uh, you have either as recurring or that you, you, you know, what kind of genres you play in on it's all been done radio hour. Of course. Uh, the other major segments, the longest running uh, besides universe journey, universe journey is our most performed segment. It's been my favorite since the beginning. It tends to be an audience favorite, but the top notch tangler is our superhero. Cause you got to do a superhero, of course. Right. Uh, yeah. She's, she's very humble. Um, we've got the, Daniel Kravitz chosen one, which is a grumpy guy that's tasked with saving the world from monsters and everything. (laughs) That one's probably our most serious and dramatic, but it loosely inspired with Buffy. Of course Mm -hmm. Uh, we've got morning show is one of our newer ones, which is more of a Sorkin esque news program and get into politics, but not too big into politics. It's more about the characters. Of course Uh, we have Packer and Ratcliffe, which were, they were a couple uh, a mortal time traveling dimension hopping duo that are generally more concerned with just being in love with each other, but stumble into adventures along their way. Uh, one of those lead actors left the show recently. So we've only got a couple more Packer Ratcliffe's to release, but we started a new segment called travels with Tim, which is their time machine taking on new travelers in, in their stead 40,000 years later. So <laughs> got that going on. We've got privates, which is a detective noir spoof. And Mm -hmm. then a few other ones. I I think there's 10 segments right now, and there have been three that we completed and ended. Well, good. Do you do do all 10 segments every month, or are you rotating through what's what's going to be happening? That would be so many, uh, (laughs) so much writing to try and stay on top of. (laughs) We do Universe Journey every month. We've only done two live shows without Universe Journey, but we do typically four segments. It's an Mm 80-minute show, and the segments are about 20 minutes. So typically we get four new episodes of four different segments, which works out perfectly for, you know, the release pattern of a weekly podcast on top of a live, live performance, right? Yeah. And then we folded in meet the cast interview episodes for those months that had the fifth week. And then we did a bunch of special shows. Uh, so we are a full year ahead of in the live show versus the podcast. And that's where we're staying for holiday purposes and seasonal purposes. <laughs> I, I'm familiar with the, uh, you know, the art of getting some stuff uh, pre-recorded. <laughs> that can come we out a long didn't time launch later. the podcast until six months after the live show on purpose so that mm. we would never miss a date in the podcast. 
Oh, well, that was excellent planning. And uh, thank you for that little peek behind the curtain uh, of how this is done. So before we move on to the summary of this episode, we want to thank you listeners for downloading this episode. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter monthly episodes, which talk about the me- in which we talk about the media that we've been consuming that we are not yet covering as episodes of the podcast. And very soon we're likely to start up our uh, fantasy box office game that we play on the quick cast uh, and all patrons who support us with five dollars per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss so now on to the full summary of uh, uh universe journey the musical which i want you all to imagine that there is musical accompaniment and people are breaking out into uh, I want <laughs> Broadway style songs and, and some power ballads and some round songs uh, throughout the summary. Uh, so in the previous episode, uh, Captain Richard Kake sacrificed his star, sh- uh, his star sheep. Oh, real quick. I have to ask. They call it a star sheep, right? I wasn't yes. mishearing. <laughs> yes. That. Why are they called star sheeps in this universe? So Nick Argenbright, who plays Kake, uh, suggested uh-huh. that he thought way back when we were starting this segment that it would be really funny if they were called Starsheep. So I just wrote it in without thinking about it. But the novel, Love's Lust Lost, does talk about how it was just a bureaucratic <laughs> mistake, but now they have to <laughs> say it. Instead of starships, they all have uh, Starship. starships. Yes. Okay. Uh, and uh, their ship is the ASS Thrifty. What does the ASS stand for again? I didn't. Uh, Associated Starship Services. Okay. And, and all is- the Starship are named after rental car companies. <laughs> That is just the right level of juvenile to have the acronym <laughs> ASS and then also fold in that you're naming them after car services. So uh, I just want to tip my cap to that. Thank you. Uh, so it, his uh, star sheep, the thrifty was uh, sacrificed in order to allow an enemy spy to continue to operate. And by that, I mean an enemy who was passing information to the ASS, not a spy who was an enemy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I guess you, hopefully you follow that. So one crew member, uh, Fitzy died in this effort and her husband, Foley is feeling a wide range of emotions from sadness to anger. Kake is the youngest captain in the fleet, and (laughs) I saw this detail, is the first known sexist for centuries. Yes. They live in a society that has gotten over sexism, but Kake um, is a sexist. So there was one line in there that definitely made me laugh out loud as I was listening, where um, during uh, an interview with someone else, someone mentions that, oh, Kake is a sexist. And the the other person goes, "Uh, sexism has been eliminated for centuries. He is a sexist. (laughs) Just want to reaffirm. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Well, and and honestly, after like season two, he's not real sexist anymore. He's gone through a growth arc and he's learned how to be a better person. But yeah, he started that way. Yeah. And well, and I think that's a wonderful, um, you know, acknowledgement of the the 1960s Star Trek roots, which, mm-hmm. you know, is this utopian future where you, we, we have, you know, an international and interracial crew here. But Captain Kirk is still a little bit <laughs> yes. objectifying of the women <laughs> that, that he encounters. So, you know, utopian in some ways, maybe there still was room to grow in others. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, because of the loss of the ship uh, Kake is brought up for a hearing with an investigatory committee but he doesn't want to endanger the spy by revealing why he allowed his starship to be destroyed um, he's just going even though this is his superior he's kind of be, is of the mindset that the more people know about the spy the more danger the spy is in so I'm basically going to tell no one uh, the investigatory, uh, investigatory committee doesn't know what to do with Kake in light of 
uh, his his lack of forthrightness as to why uh, the ship was lost. Uh, and now we're going to go touch base with the crew members and see where they are. Uh, they're all at following the destruction of the Thrifty and the ongoing investigation into their captain. Uh, Takalati has finished command track training and has been offered positions with other captains, but she wants to stay with Captain Kake, even though he may not have a command after the investigation is completed. Uh, meow Meow and and uh, th- that's the character's name, right? <laughs> meow meow. It's unpronounceable by human standards, but Meow Meow is as close as the humans are going to get, so that's what they call him. Okay, Meow Meow was the science officer and has been offered a position studying the Echo Dimension, but that is a little uncomfortable uh, for him, and I'm just going to take a stab that the Echo Dimension is a riff on Mirror Mirror from Star Trek, the original mm-hmm. series. Yeah, and we actually have done a lot with the Echo Dimension nowadays, but we, we've developed it in very different ways. Uh, mm-hmm inspired a lot by the things that bother me about the mirror universe i.e everybody's like still on the same starship basically in their same roles <laughs> and positions which bother parents the obviously all live the same lives and, yeah uh... the, the, well we uh we haven't even met all of the duplicates of our main crew even though we've done a lot with the echo dimension but that is a very different universe from ours it's not just a copy Okay, uh, Foley has resigned from the fleet as he mourns the death of his wife, uh, who decides to go home as she feels that she has failed in her two roles. And my understanding from the context I was given, she worked as the ship's security and as the medical officer at different times. Is that yes. correct? Yes. And the destru- destruction of the thrift and death of some of her crewmates, that um, hits hard in both roles for her. Uh, so she's going to leave and go home. Uh, and then there's New, who was an android, uh, who was built to pilot the thrift, uh, the thrifty. And now that the thrifty has been destroyed, she asks Kake what she should do. And he says she should, she should that she should consider anything that has ever interested her. And so she makes a list of over 70,000 options and uh, decides that she's going to enroll, enroll in the the ASS Academy. Uh, so now we go back to the uh, investigation uh, and uh, the investigator like talks to everyone who could be involved with the incident and discovers that everyone is just extremely loyal to Captain Kake. And she can't quite figure out why. In the end, she makes the decision to demote Kake and assign him to a space station. The crew are not happy with the decision, but each must go their separate way now. Um, and I just want to ask, I haven't been able to listen to the subsequent episodes, but I assume with season four, this is a chance to kind of get to know everyone on their own a little bit more and have their own adventures, but there'll be a getting the crew back together kind of story that comes eventually. It's a, it's a slow burn. Yeah. Season four, they basically spend it apart and it's season five before they all get back together. I mean, I love a good getting the crew back together story whenever it happens. <laughs> so, And sometimes it, it, to make that really emotionally hit, you do have to do the slow burn of letting them be apart for a while. Well, and we didn't bring them all back together at once. So you're missing that that moment you're talking about, unfortunately. But they mm. did come back one by one until they all ended up back together. Ah, well, I, I, it must feel right for longtime listeners when, when it does all come together. I, th- I hope so. <laughs> um. So I, I just want to say uh, you, you asked if we could cover this musical episode or, or mm-hmm. uh, suggested this musical episode. And it actually was a really fantastic first episode to get to know the characters because in a musical with the genre, you reveal your inner thoughts and motivations. Yes. <laughs> and so I was able to like pretty quickly get a handle on who each one of these characters was. Yeah. I, I just want to brag slightly about the music real quick. We have two composers that work on the show. So every segment has its own theme songs and we do a ton of original music. We've done dozens of songs. This was our first attempt to do more than like a 30 minute musical. This one's a little over 60 minutes uh, and we haven't done another of this length 
since we're actually working on our second one. I was going to say, we you said do first do attempt, original which songs regularly. <laughs> the, the, yeah, yeah that, when you said the first attempt, that implies the second attempt is, is coming at some point. January for the live show. It'll be t- 2023 for the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, and I, I'm just curious for a writer as you are playing different genres, it sounds like, you know, mm-hmm. all throughout this, but then specifically you have this one. It's more of a sci-fi show and also doing the radio, which has its own conventions. If anyone's listened to old time radio stuff, how does bringing in a different genre, like a musical affect your, you know, the, the act of writing this story? Like, like what, what is different for you? Ooh, man, uh, there's a reason there's four names in the written by section. I did mm-hmm. write most of the actual words myself, but this type of project, I mean, most of our stories are written month to month. I write a few months ahead so we can, you know, keep ahead going on and, you know, be able have time to cast guest stars and stuff. We've had over a hundred guest stars to date, but doing a musical like this, you're going to need to rehearse for four or five, six months minimum plus composing the music. So we had to sit down well in advance, come up with the story that made sense for the musical, but also figure out what are these next five or six episodes I haven't written yet in between (laughs) where we were in the musical? Uh, I ended up not being able to build. I tried to write the musical first and then go back and write episodes leading up to it. I couldn't do it. So halfway through the musical, I stopped and wrote all the universe journey episodes that came before the musical and then finished the musical. Otherwise I don't think I could have done it. Yeah, you you knew where you wanted to land, uh, and and you were at least attempting to to like give yourself that endpoint and then move move through to it. But then you found you know what I got to take the journey to get there first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like. I try to write in a flexible way where I'm constantly adapting to what the actors are doing. So if you write at, that far in advance, then you can't make those changes as you get mm-hmm. approach the musical. Interesting. So um, I, I know every every you know, project is going to be different, but it sounds like this must be a pretty collaborative project. Then if you're, if you're saying you're adapting to what the the actors are giving you. Yeah. I mean, they're encouraged to improv and rehearsal and many of them do uh, that. Many of them have developed their own ticks and personality for the characters beyond what was on the page. And, you know, I try to write those things in that they've added to the parts. And I, I would say these actors have pretty strong ownership over the characters at this point. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that stood out in this episode for me, at least in um, still being able to see or or sense like the roots of this as a parody uh, of Star Trek, the original series to, to some degree, uh, and, and also definitely having a, some comedic elements like I, laughs come pretty regularly, uh, both, you know, both from the audience <laughs> and the me as, uh, as the listener. Um, but you do have some of those more serious beats like um, uh, I want to make sure I get get the names here. Uh, Foley uh, mourning the death of his wife and and his anger, right? Which isn't something you would find in just a a parody. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it, that is to me is like evidence of like okay, these characters have you know, transformed from from being parodies of Scotty, you know, from yeah. Star Trek the original series or something like that. The audience and cast were in tears. I had audience members come up to me that it was their first show and they couldn't believe how deeply they felt. And that's a testament to the performance of Seamus Talty who played Colm Foley. Just amazing job on this. Um, and for you, like having written, so uh, I'm trying to do the math now because uh, you said you've been writing this for six years. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes. How you felt as like a creator uh, as you've seen these characters develop and change and even maybe some some elements of tone shifting as, as you're writing these stories. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, I, they definitely all started out much more goofy and basic surface level comedy. I mean, the very first episode of Universe Journey, we had the first officer's name was Gary Marshall, which if you're familiar with Star Trek <laughs> original series, they had Gary Mitchell. Uh, but we put in, I pulled up Gary Marshall's IMDb page and there were over 80 references to Gary Marshall titles in that episode. So it was much more slapstick and quick jokes. And now, yeah, Universe Journey, Daniel Kravitz, some of our deeper segments have, go pretty dark. But the, I always got to keep in mind and try to bring it back to that comedy to lighten the mood in between. Because over at the end of the day, we are a comedy program, but we don't want to... I'd say we're even more of a dramedy at this point because we mm-hmm. want to have those deep characters, but also still laugh. Do you find that having those changes of tone like it um it allows the comedy to like hit more right if you if you are yeah. having oh, those definitely. those definitely. alterations I mean, into more of the the somber or the or the serious and uh, you know contrasted with with the the lighter elements yeah i mean this musical overall was much darker than our normal episode i think and but you, you we felt when you got into their heads and got into their emotions as you mentioned has to happen in a musical it was, and we put them at this pivotal moment where basically their lives were blown up as well as their ship. So we took that opportunity to kind of serve that purpose to make the characters feel real. Well, I think it was, it was successful. So, so well done. Um, do you have a favorite character to write in this cast or in this ensemble? (laughs) That's almost impossible. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I try to make my way around the, the, cast members especially in universe journey because it is a true ensemble i mean kake is probably the easiest but tokalati has become extremely rewarding to write you got to see a little bit of it here but as i mentioned i think before we started recording her original name was supposed to be like token lady she almost never talked except to repeat the computer type stuff and then she was the one that eventually got tired of listening to kake be a sexist and called him out on it and then she eventually decided to become a commander of her own and went through that command track training. And now she is every bit as competent and skilled a commander as Kake is. And he's very lucky to have her as his first officer, um, which I believe this musical kind of sets up. Sorry, I kind of spoiled that she becomes <laughs> his first officer, but yeah, it, it she, felt imminent. Uh, you know, that, that was what, yeah. what she was wanting, like her, I want song or, or at yeah. least like the, her clear statement of where she wants to, to be heading now that she's completed that stage of her life that, you know, mm-hmm. the, the command track training was to be the XO for, for a Kake. Well, that sounds subservient because she's going to mm-hmm. go work for this guy again that she's already worked for, but everybody, all the Admiralty, all, you know, everybody's telling her not to do it, that Mm -hmm. this is going to be a killer for her career. And she makes this choice for her own personal independent reasons. And so it's really thrilling to write that and also see how she's grown. I mean, we're at the point as we're starting season seven, where she's just going to have to get her own ship because she's grown so far beyond that original role. And I mean, I, I, I see what you mean by saying it sounds absurd, but also like that's the first step of out of command track training would be to be an XO, right? Right. But everybody told her go work on a different ship. He's the the, the dying horse. You don't want to hit your wagon to him. So you're still showing her attentiveness in, in choosing to, you know, where, where she wants to be assigned. Yes. Um, let's see. Uh, if you were going to, I, I feel like I got to know fully in a very different state than what he probably would have normally been. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so what what was Foley like before? You know, in this episode, like he gets the the anger song and the morning, right? Uh, so, but but what is he more? What do you what do you been in the first earlier seasons? So Foley was introduced. He's the chief engineer. And we named him Foley because I wanted the actor playing him to also do all the Foley sound effects for the entire show, not just Universe Journey. And Seamus Talty did. Uh, he recently left the cast, unfortunately, for a job opportunity. But it, for the five and a half years he was in the cast, he was the Foley artist as well as playing Colm Foley. And so he being able to do the goofier sounds, especially in the beginning, Colm Foley was a very goofy character that just wanted to get drunk and hang out with the captain. And then over time, we learned he actually had a wife, like he had a a home life. But what we'd seen was him just wanting to fit in and be a buddy. Well, that makes everything from this episode sound like even more tragic. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Karkay and Foley do not come out of this as friends, obviously. No. (laughs) I I will say there is a journey back. They're in a good place now as we start season seven. But it took a long time to get them. And their relationship will never be what it was in the early seasons. Mm-hmm. But I think they like each other again. <laughs> so, is it, um, like when you have a transformation like that big, or the decision mm-hmm. was made to, um, you know, to, to have him go through this serious, dramatic beat uh, as a character, and you contrast that with where the character started. Like, what goes into you as a creator, you know, into those decisions as to, um, you know, we're going to do something that's really transformative uh, for a character that sounds like he was a little broader, a little more comedic initially, and now we're gonna really not just ground him but but pull him down a bit i mean that's why he was chosen uh, that and he was the only one with the spouse I mean, when we decided to blow up the ship we wanted it to have loss and not just i mean the ship itself is a big loss but i wanted to kill a notable character and i could not bring myself to kill any of my leads at that point we had already killed a lead on the show earlier in the the series run but Looking at each of my leads, I had good story I still wanted to tell with them. And so that was that's kind of how I decide who to kill is who do who I've run out of the ideas for. And his wife was never like a big character, but she was in a handful of episodes and it was well established. So taking her out, we got was a, a big impactful loss through him. She was really the most expendable that would have the biggest impact without killing off a lead at that point. And and so you you were really looking for that emotional impact. And do you found do you find that um, you know transforming a character like Foley? Uh, I, I'm sure it's it's got to be different for the actor and everything. But is, is it rewarding to see that there's places to go with these kinds of characters? Um, uh, uh, you know, with I, again, I don't I haven't listened to those early episodes, but to, to, it sounds like there's just such transformation has has been you know evolving through throughout. Yeah, I mean, with Foley. Uh, there wasn't a ton of development in those first couple seasons. Like he had moments he was spotlighted, but he was pretty static. And like I said, Tokaladi went through a growth arc. Meow Meow went through a growth arc. Kake went through a growth arc. We were writing who off the show. This is kind of the end of who's arc. So, I mean, I guess I could have killed who, but it didn't feel like it would have had the same impact. So with fully, it was like, this is the character we haven't touched yet. Let's do something big with that character. And it gave us uh, ongoing story for Foley to go through, you know, because he's not in the ASS in season four for the entire season. And he's not back to being a buddy, but he still has morals and he still has ties to these people. So he's still in the story. Yeah, uh, it's, it's got to be interesting to like have 
scattered them and you know it, it, in some ways it's almost um like a, a writing challenge like okay now how do i how do i keep them you know touching base how do i keep them connected in some way for that long you know eye to the future of of reuniting everyone yeah i'd say when we were doing the musical and everything we knew it was going to be a long journey to get them back together so season four feels totally different from the other seasons Five and six aren't back to what we had, but it's a it's the new normal, the new story. Mm-hmm. And I mean, spoiler, I'm going to spoil again. At the end of season six, we split them again for a totally different reason and in a different way that's going to be probably more along the lines of what you're referencing earlier about, you know, the satisfying getting the crew back together eventually because their plots are all connected. But in season four, their plots aren't connected at first. And it takes a long time. literally moving on with threads. their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, one of the other characters uh, knew uh, was uh, I could tell um, just from the the musical. Okay, so we have it sounds like an and or some sort of computer life form. I, I, I double checked on your your wiki. Then there is a delightful fan wiki that seemed to have lots of information for me as I was trying to uh, make sure I was spelling character names right and <laughs> writing up this and everything. Uh, it is an android uh, that was uh, built by Foley. Is that correct? Foley and Tokalati together. Okay. And specifically to pilot the, the the thrifty, and so now that the thrifty has been destroyed, she's having an existential crisis. <laughs> well, even before that, because we had uh, the first officer of the ship was always the pilot, but mm-hmm. we killed the first officer pretty much every episode, seasons one through three. <laughs> that was like a running gag. It was almost like the Kenny of South Park, but it was a different character every time. So the Foley and Tokalati decided to build an android to pilot the ship so that they had a consistent pilot because whenever the first officer was killed, one of them would have to fill in for a while and they got tired of it. Uh, So a couple episodes before the musical, though, New was brought before the same ASS judge, Admiral Jenko, who ruled on Kake because they had asked if they could copy her and Tokalati and Foley had said no. And so they had a trial on her personhood and sentience and what they basically ruled was no you you are an individual you have the right to have individual rights but you never trained in the academy or enrolled in the ass so we we can't have you on a starship piloting so she was already told that as soon as they got a new xo her job was over and she was being kicked off the ship oh so i mean i i I remember there was a next generation episode that had you know data some power mad admiral wanted data right yes uh and uh, but I like how you're like layering in the idea of of rewarding that personhood, acknowledging that, but then that leads to uh, you know a new new challenge for for the character. Yeah, and our trial uh, in uh, different than Data's because Data's I felt like was about the technology and mm-hmm. could any android be sentient. Our trial was very much what these characters have experienced with New and what they think of her. Mm-hmm. New had only been a character for a year. We added her. I think at the beginning of season three. So she hadn't been around that long, but it, it really gave us perspective on how each of the leads thought about her and, and other things in general. So with the, with, with new, like having been identified as like, like having personhood and, and she was set up for having to do something different. This became a natural jumping off point for her to choose to enroll in the ASS. Yeah. I mean the, the uh, balance to that though, is she'd never known any other life or any other people. So she also had everything ripped away from her. I'm just curious from like a storyteller perspective and someone Mm -hmm. like I've tried to write stories and everything. Did you, did you know you were going to be going along this path with new when you said, okay, we're going to create 
an android who pilots the the ship or is this just okay we're, we're killing off our our pilot as a joke every you know every every few episodes so maybe uh, a solution is to put in this to that problem as an android and, and did you know you were going to end up with this kind of emotional journey of sentience emerging uh and, and eventually uh in, in you know having having to make these kinds of choices I mean, in generalities, yes. I, we knew from the beginning I eventually wanted to add an Android to the cast as we kind of moved out of our TOS area era and more into our TNG era, just in general broad strokes, which we kind of condensed both of those into three seasons. But So we knew we were going to add the Android. I, I can't say I knew fully ahead of time we were going to deal with the sentience so deep, but as soon as we started developing a character, that's kind of the first thing you think about. And we've tried to explore it more here in seasons five and six as well of really what it means to be her and go through what she's going through. And we're uh, doing some some things that really test the limits of what she is and what the boundaries of sentience and personhood are later. Um, and that's one of the... I think one of the fun strengths of a genre like science fiction is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that you're able to, um, you know, explore some of those, you know, large questions, but in, in, in these allegorical technological ways, um, these issues of identity and, um, uh, you know, and, and, and sense of self and identity, you know, identity, all the, all these things get, get rolled up. Uh, but it, it's done with, you know, the distance of, of time and comedy and, and sci-fi, like all, all these other things. So you're able to like touch on issues that have a lot of thematic heft, uh, but without always, you know, that weight having to always be felt every time you, you go into the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see, uh, the character of, uh, Meow Meow, uh-huh. I didn't get, uh, you mentioned that, uh, th- this is an alien character whose name can't be pronounced by the, by the humans. Is that right? Yeah. It's more of a screech that just sounds <laughs> sort of like Meow Meow. Um, and I, at least in the musical episode, like this character was maybe a little less served uh, through through the musical than some of the others. This was definitely uh, we're we're digging into um, you know the, the captain and uh, new you know felt a little bit more. If you were going to try and define who the character of Meow Meow is, what is the essence of this this science officer? So he his people are evil. He sounds evil. His people are very superstitious, and they're. They, I, I guess evil is probably too simplistic a word, but they are <laughs> duplicitous. And so everybody thinks he's like that, but he's a black sheep among his people or else he wouldn't even be in the ASS. And so he is looking for acceptance and a place to be. And so he figures very prominently into the first couple seasons as, you know, we determine once and for all whether he is evil or not, because that's kind of an open question at the beginning. And then once we figure out that he's not evil, which I feel I can easily say without spoiling at this point but then his mission really is like make everybody is starting to accept him and be his friend except kake kake hates him kake is annoyed by him and so there he's trying to get kake to like him but then of course other things happen and he kind of goes on his own journey and what's really fun about season four when kake gets demoted and sent to a space station is his space station is in orbit around meow meow's home world so there is more development on who Meow Meow is and where he came from, as well as meeting a lot of other members of his species. So you said something there, I, I think, which 
one of the songs definitely touched on like the idea mm-hmm. that a lot of these characters are looking for like that, um, that selected family, right. Where, where we're choosing uh, a place where we fit in and where we belong. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that's a, uh, an idea that, uh, you know, the, the series is like deliberately engaging with? Yeah. I mean, I think whenever you put this group of people together that are out exploring space and they're away from their families and friends and home, there has to be something that drove them there in the first place. And so it's a natural thing to, to have a group of misfits. If you're not going to go full Star Trek and just make them all hero explorers, <laughs> uh, it's, it's easier, I think, to do misfits, honestly. Mm-hmm. Well, and you mentioned that at least one of the other series is somewhat inspired by Buffy, which very much you know delved into the idea of the the chosen family um, uh-huh. and and um, you, the sense of of belonging that that can arrive from that. Um, mm-hmm. And I would imagine, like like you're saying, if if you're trying to get into the heads of a group of people who are on a, a spaceship and and out in the middle of nowhere like that what kind of bonds are going to be formed the, you know a family bond is is a very natural thing to go and start exploring mm-hmm. yeah we we obviously don't know a lot about their families as it starts we we eventually have met foley's wife who's now deceased we'll meet tokalati's mother and find out you know what drove her we meet meow meow's parents at some point so eventually we get to some of these different relationships and those help inform even more who these people are and admiral jameson who similarly has a smaller role in the musical uh, his his stories tied to meow meows he mm-hmm. was our admiral character that sent them on missions for a few episodes but he's really become even by season two another lead character of the series that we explore a lot and his family is part of the story as well um as you're you know writing for a live audience performance, but then also knowing that it's gonna be chopped up into, into podcasts. Um, is there any, like when you're imagining the words that you're writing, like being performed, are you writing for that live performance more so than for the podcast audience? No, I mean, it's always been a balance. We have to strike because we love doing the live performance, but the live performance doesn't have sets or costumes. We're in front of microphones. They hold their scripts in their hands. So it's not, a full performance in that way. Mm-hmm. We like the energy of having a crowd there to laugh and groan. And, and you know, as our mic equipment's gotten better, you don't hear it as much, unfortunately, but the <laughs> actors feel it. And that's something we've really missed during the pandemic is having that energy in the room. And that's why we're really looking forward to get back to the theater next month so we can recapture that because I really think it, it makes the podcast better. It is a very, um, like you said, there's just a different energy that's present for for performers and also for an audience to like to be in that same space simultaneously, mm-hmm. I think. And it does change, uh, you know, the relationship that an audience can develop with a piece. And I think, like you're saying, it, it does also come through in the in the podcast form, like listening to this musical episode. Like I, I heard, you know, the laughter from the audience and I could tell when, uh, you know, there were these a, a few moments where like the, the actors had to wait a beat because the line had really mm-hmm. landed and there was laughter. And that's a give and take that I actually enjoy um, that different types of media give and other others don't obviously live performance uh live theater does that um but also like um it's been moved away from the the sitcoms that are done in front of live audiences uh there's a different rhythm to how the jokes are delivered and when the you know the next line comes up because they are reacting to the live audience it's very different than uh the the single camera comedies that a lot of the timing comes through in the editing 
Yeah, and that's a thing. You know, the live show podcast blend, like I said, was part of our original plan, the sitcom format of live studio audience as part of it. And it's also, we see these days, and when we started, there weren't a ton of scripted audio podcasts, but now there's there are tons, and most of them are highly polished and edited. And we, could we make you know, more polished audio quality. Absolutely. But we don't want to lose that live element. I think it makes our show special and unique. And I know Thrilling Adventure Hour did it, but since they stopped doing it regularly, I don't think there's anybody else around doing it. So we're kind of the one filling that niche if people are interested in that kind of setting. Yeah. Uh, and it, it is, um, it, it's a fun throwback to the actual, like r- the radio show uh, style. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it does give a, a different energy than, the highly polished. I don't think that I'm not saying that, that one is better or, or worse than the other. It's just, there is something that's distinct to, to both versions of, of this kind of narrative podcast storytelling. Yeah. We, we obviously try to get better over time. Our sound effects on zoom have been not as good because we can't do background noises and stuff. So we've really had to pull ourselves back because I think we got to a point where our sound effects are pretty good and they're not bad now, but I, I am looking forward to adding that depth back into the show as well. It's, uh, and we couldn't do a, much singing over Zoom either. We had to cut all the chorus numbers. Did it change the um, even like the the timing of delivery and everything to do it through Zoom? It did. There was definitely a slight delay, not as bad as like Skype or something, but there was a slight delay we had to get used to. We had to really watch the pacing, but you also got that close up on the actors' faces, and I, maybe I took for granted how good some of the actors are in the troupe, but getting that close up. And watching them perform, you know, with the camera right on their face uh, really showed off their talent in a different way. So it's kind of nice for that regard, even though I, I still think the live theater is a better experience. Yeah, I think it's interesting just that every, um, you know, medium that you have to work with or, or a challenge that comes up, it can be, uh, you know, something to overcome. But also you're, you're probably going to find out a little bit more about yourself as a writer or your your ensemble as actors. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it's just... A, you know, interesting opportunities that maybe you didn't expect are going to arise um, as mm-hmm. you have you as you had to, um, you know, in, engage with the curveballs of life, particularly in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you uh, how far out are you planning? Like you said, your season seven is already, are you in production on season seven? Is that what you said? The to... Universe Journey season seven premiere is our July show coming up, our big sixth anniversary show. Are, are you like thinking ahead multiple seasons or are you like doing outlines of the next season like I, i'm just uh, as a creator like what what is some of your process there both uh, <laughs> so with universe journey i've had broad stroke ideas for a long time way back in the first few months of the show i said eventually we're going to demote kake and he's going to go run a space station in the middle of nowhere that nobody else wants and uh, and you know at the time people were like oh that sounds interesting i want to i want to get to that well, you get to that like halfway through season four. It takes a while. <laughs> and so we have some broad strokes. We want to do something Voyager-esque where the ship is lost and far away from mm-hmm. home, but we're not there yet because we're still right, telling so the stories you. we've got right now. So yeah, eventually we, we do want to kind of pay homage to all those different Star Treks, but do it in a different way. For instance, the space station that's around Meow Meow's home world of evil, duplicitous uh, superstitious beings they find a wormhole because obviously we're paying homage to deep space nine and both mm-hmm. the stable wormhole was part of deep space nine but our stable wormhole goes to the echo dimension and the the evil people <laughs> so that adds a different flavor to it uh, that you've got that you know basically hole stuck open and maybe that influenced how meow people are the way they are you know if they were right by this anomaly 
So we're playing with that right now and doing our war arc with the Echo Dimension as well as dealing with Meow Meow's homeworld. Does that become a reason both in that uh, where Captain Kake is is near Meow Meow's homeworld, but also Meow Meow was studying the wormhole. So that gives them even more reason to be working in close proximity. Yeah, and Jameis, Admiral Jameson, I mentioned before in this musical, the Echo version of him is like the evil dictator on the other side. So that also gives the actors some opportunity to do something fun as well. Oh, that yeah, I hadn't really thought through yet to the the actor side of things, which um, anytime there's an evil twin, I think that's something that actors really do (laughs) enjoy being able to sink their teeth into. Right. And not all the echo parts are are straight evil, like the echo version of Kake, who we met in our first echo episode and haven't seen again since is not evil at all. He's actually quite meek and subservient. (laughs) So so just an inversion of like the, the brash confidence and bravado of uh of kake rather than yeah and then, the, the and then morality we also, inversion right and we also play with when you're starting to think you've got it figured out that it's just going to be the inverse then we do something completely different with another character just to be like hey this is a, a whole different universe with its own complexities and it's not just a copy or mere image of what we've got going on well i have very much enjoyed this conversation and the chance to um both dig into these characters, but also hear a little bit about the creative process that you go through. Is there anything that you want to make sure our audience knows about uh, the podcast that you've been doing for years? And and it sounds like even if anything were to happen, which we don't want to, you'd still have <laughs> years of material out ready, ready to go. Yes. Well, and there's a established documented line of succession for who takes over what duties and stuff <laughs> should something happen to me. So the show is, I've said this about the actors for a long time. The show is bigger than one person, but now we definitely have a documented. It's bigger than myself as well. There are people that would keep it going. Uh, but, but is there any, uh, I, I guess, uh, where, where could our listeners find uh, more of your show? Let's start with that. Sure. The podcast is It's All Been Done Radio Hour. The website is IABD, as in It's All Been Done, IABDpresents.com, because it is an entertainment network with a few other programs, but Radio Hour is our main focus. So IABDpresents.com. On all the social medias, we're at IABD Presents. On Facebook, there is a separate Radio Hour page besides the network. And then our Patreon is patreon.com slash IABD. And I will just say, I did enjoy um, going to your website and seeing the photos of like, okay, there's the face with the voice. <laughs> and it's always, uh, I mean, as someone who listens to a lot of podcasts, it's always like, does that face match that voice? You know, that, that little moment. Of not, yeah, the not, wiki, not what I was the, expecting. The wiki for like Daniel Kravitz and the newer segments like Morning Show and Travels with Tim and everything, it's completely built out episode by episode, character by character. But even for these older segments that we haven't fully built out, you get a a sense of the main characters, the main story episode lists with links to every episode. So you can listen to it and all of the lead actors, all the troop members have their picture and bios. And then all the guest stars at least have a picture as well. So you can see what everybody looks like. Well, it's a lot of work has clearly been done in both putting this uh, together uh, and and getting it out, you know, weekly as a podcast and monthly as a live show, but also to have such a, a, uh, you know, detailed online presence for it as well. It takes a big team. It's clearly not just me. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Jerome, thank you for, for coming on to talk about this. And as a first time guest, we always ask the dinner guest question. We love to celebrate great characters and great stories. So if you could spend an evening hanging out with any three to five uh, fictional characters just to hang out for an evening at a dinner party, who would you want to hang out with and why? 
Oh man, I, I knew this question was coming. Obviously, I've listened to past episodes, and and uh, you had also given me a heads up to be in the show. But oh, it's so hard because there's so many characters. I mean, my first instinct was to go with Frank and Sadie Doyle from Thrilling Adventure Hour because they're such great characters, and I know they wouldn't pay any attention to me, but it would just be fun to be in their presence. <laughs> I, I think I might throw in Captain Jack from Doctor Who and Torchwood in there just because he'd be a heck of a lot of fun and keep the party going. Um, and then, jeez, I don't know. We got to have somebody from Star Trek, right? But my favorite captain, Cisco, and I don't feel like he'd fit into the dinner party so well. But so that, that could be fun to have that uh, the little wrench in the dynamic there. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'd invite Garrick from Deep Space Nine because he's got the shady element, and he would keep things interesting as well. He definitely would. Uh, and Frank and Sadie and him having the repartee, I can only imagine. Oh, the dialogue! I just want to record it on my phone. <laughs> Well, that, that would be a very interesting evening. Uh, very, very good choices. Yeah, when we did our episode talking about Thrilling Adventure Hour, we talked about Sparks Nevada, but any listeners who have a chance, I would also really recommend that you go listen to the Beyond Belief sections of uh, the Thrilling Adventure Hour. Um, Frank and Sadie Doyle and uh, the delivery from Paul Tompkins and, and Padgett Brewster is just, it, it is so delightful. Those characters are just, just sing with life whenever they're, they're performing them. For the longest time, Sparks Nevada was my favorite, but I think Beyond Belief has uh, now surpassed that. Uh, well, Jerome, thank you again for coming on and telling us uh, some about this great project that you have going. And listeners, we definitely invite you to go and listen to that. Uh, this is going to wrap up this episode of the Protagonist Podcast. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. Uh, you can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at jadarowski and our producer Andrew is at Dis Minute and our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast and also Dueling Genre is hosting a Discord channel where you can go interact with all of the Dueling Genre podcast hosts uh, one more time Jerome do you want to plug anything uh, about uh, the, your podcast iabdpresents.com <laughs> I, I really appreciate you having me on here and, and talking about the show It's it's been a really nice thank you Oh, it was a delight to listen to, and I did very much enjoy this discussion about it. Thank you, listeners. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. Sorry, Andrew. (coughs) I'm going to have to give you another point there. (coughs) Sorry. Let me get a quick drink of water.